I'm Phil. I'm reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 25. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. For uh, Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Thank you, Phil, and... Um Thank you, Jess and Pete, for um, giving us the heads up um, on submission. I hope um, I don't speak like a robot. I haven't. So tonight's preacher's workshop, Jess says, is about not how not to speak like a robot. So I hope it's not too late for me. Um, as Jess said, uh, preacher's workshops on monthly on Sunday evenings and here tonight. This is a message that I've prepared for a previous preacher's workshop um, and I expect to be critiqued on it tonight by my fellow students. And I'm good with that. Iron sharpens iron. As Jess said, preacher's workshop isn't just about preaching. It isn't even mainly about preaching. It's about how we read and understand the Bible for ourselves and then sharing that. Participants in preacher's workshop uh, allocated a Bible passage to read, to reread, to mull over, to check in different translations, to research, perhaps, but not firstly or primarily, um, to check what others have said in commentaries, sermons and podcasts, and then to look for a central, a central message, a, a key theme, a big question, and to establish how the passage points to Jesus. Uh, because every passage points to Jesus, whether it's immediately obvious or not. 
course, doing that means you become very familiar with a passage, and I think it's almost inevitable that God speaks to you through that passage, uh, if you let him, and he has to me. And so it's my prayer that God uses this message to speak to your hearts too. So, please join me in prayer before we start. Father, we pray for your light to shine on and through your word, the Bible, through this passage and into our hearts. God, I ask that it won't be what I say so much as what people hear through the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that each one of us will allow something supernatural to occur and that in the end what we'll see is Jesus. And the people of Pathway agreed and said, Amen. Uh, as we've said, by its nature, Preacher's Workshop works us through a passage of Scripture and it might be useful, therefore, to have your Bible open to 1 Peter 2 uh, as we're going to work through this one. I'll refer to it a bit as I go. Now, I haven't counted them, but this, um, this passage has around 300 words, the passage that Phil just read for us. Um, it's just a dozen verses in Peter's letter, um, but I'm going to focus on the first word in the first verse. Don't look, what is it? Submit. Yes, that's right, submit. Not, as Pete said, I think, not a popular word, um, sort of un-Australian, some would say. Uh, our culture isn't big on submission, not to our government, not to our employers, not to our teachers, not to our church leaders not to each other, not even to God. Let's think of a couple of contemporary examples of submission. The speed limit on Lillico Strait is 110 kilometres an hour. Is it really necessary in a modern, mechanically sound car on a fine Sunday morning when traffic's light to submit to that road rule? What about an example that is a bit more ethically challenging? Okay then, the Bible commands that we must look after foreigners and aliens amongst us. Does that make you a little bit uncomfortable about the idea of turning back boats carrying refugees or locking them up in detention centres, particularly offshore ones? Or do we just go along with government policy on this? Or how about the fact that some of our taxes fund programs that support same-sex marriage? Are we okay with that? Or could we withhold a portion of our income tax? Last example. What should Christians do when they're forbidden to meet, say for weekly church services? Think of an authoritarian regime in another country, like Yemen. Last week, Quentin shared with us about his family's plans to go there. Or think of COVID lockdowns and how we were forbidden to meet. What makes it right or not right to submit in these situations? Well, there's a pretty clear injunction in these verses from Peter, and the passage ends with a pretty clear example from verse 21. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow. When they hurled their insults, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. So I'm going to try and answer that question of when Peter tells us we should submit, when he suggests we shouldn't submit, 
And lastly, most importantly, look at why we submit, with particular reference set to us by Jesus' example. So it's when to submit, when not to submit, and why we submit. A three-point sermon. See how I did that? <laughs> so Peter, the author of this letter at the end of the New Testament, has been one of Jesus' followers, one of his first disciples. Peter had been the first to preach the new gospel in a very bold and challenging message at Pentecost. He'd been instrumental in establishing and, and spreading the early church. What we've picked up here is an extract from a letter written many years after Peter and all those others first became Jesus' followers. Peter, now an old man, is in the capital of the empire in Rome, where he's destined to die. And he's writing this letter to encourage those new Christians in how they live out following Jesus. Encourage is, a partic is particularly the word he uses as he signs off his letter in the closing verses. And what does he encourage them to do in our text? To submit. So, to start off, think for a moment. What does submission mean in the context that Peter's writing about? Should I, should you, really submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority? That's what Peter tells us in verse 13. Now, you might say, well, that's okay for Peter. He didn't have to deal with sort of the tricky ethical issues we do in our culture. Peter didn't have to work out his response to reports on sexual orientation and gender identity. You'd, you'd be right. But Peter does say, submit yourselves to the emperor as the supreme authority, and later, show respect to everyone, fear God, honour the emperor. Peter was writing to Christians in modern-day Turkey. He and they were part of the Roman Empire when the letter was written. Do you know who the emperor was? It was Nero. It's hard to imagine a more cruel or corrupt emperor. Nero killed his own mother. Some historians say he started the great fire of Rome himself so that he could blame the Christians. And he appeared to delight in throwing those Christians to the lions or using them as human torches. Yet Peter says, submit yourselves to the emperor. And challenging though it might sometimes be, how do you think we're called to consider our governments here in Australia? It's easy to wring our hands or perhaps to ridicule the goings-on in Canberra or to wish for a government of a different persuasion. But what should the attitude of the Christian be? Submission. Respect. Verse 17, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honour the emperor. This may not come naturally in Australia at the moment. It may be countercultural. How much easier to be cynical and critical isn't everyone? But we are to honour the emperor. And if not the person, then certainly the office. An office instituted by God. Some of you may feel, yes, we should honour our government when it does what we think is right or true, Christian. Well, actually, no. The Bible doesn't qualify it like that. Peter didn't put any provisos around what he's written here. 
Seems pretty clear then. The default position is to acknowledge that our leaders in the world have been put there by God. The Bible doesn't say this means we're less than our leaders or they're more important than you and me. It doesn't have anything to do with how people are valued. It's about function, not value. When our leaders, even when our leaders are as vile as Nero, we called to submit to them. Okay, but is this always the case, without exception? So this then is our second point. Are there times when we shouldn't submit? Did Peter always practice what he's preaching here? Well, actually no. Acts 4 tells us that not long after the church was first started, Peter and John were arrested, jailed, and then hauled into a court because they'd been preaching Jesus and the resurrection. What happened next? Then they, this is from Acts 4, the religious leaders of the day, called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. It seems sometimes it's okay not to submit. There are other biblical examples. John Westendorf, pastor of this church in the late 70s and early 80s and now an elder statesman in our denomination, has been blogging on this. And he says, one, in the years prior to the Exodus, Pharaoh ordered the midwives to throw the Hebrew babies into the Nile. They totally failed to do so and then they lied about it. And yet the Bible applauds their bravery and says in Exodus 1, the midwives feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt told them to do. Hardly submitting. Two, the command to Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol was pretty simple. They didn't. And clearly God honoured that decision. Three, Daniel was ordered not to pray to anyone other than the king. He failed to submit. He got lions as a result and, again, a miraculous rescue by God. Confusing? The Bible calls us to submit, but not all the time. Mark Bates suggests the difference is when we're asked to personally contravene our primary duty to obey God. I'll say that again. The difference comes when we're asked to personally contravene, to violate or to disregard our primary duty to obey God. Peter and John were told to stop preaching the gospel. Jesus had given the disciples the Great Commission some years earlier. Their first allegiance was clear to them. Similarly, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego knew it was an offence to God to bow to an idol. The authorities were directing them to personally contravene God's law. They shouldn't do it. They couldn't do it. For Daniel and the Hebrew midwives too, their failure to submit would have required a personal contravention of what was required by God. It would have caused them to sin. So back to the initial question. When do we submit and when don't we? Well, essentially, we always submit. That's the first word of the first verse of our passage. We always submit unless submission would cause us to sin, unless the man-made law forbids us to do what God requires us to do, or the law of the land requires us to personally do what God forbids us to do. 
We don't submit if the law requires us to bow to idols or to throw babies into the Nile. We don't submit when the law forces us or forbids us not to stop praying or to stop preaching. So thirdly, but most importantly, when we submit, why do we submit? Well, first of all, because leaders in this world, be they our bosses, our politicians or Nero, are put in place by God's permission. God's allowed them to be there for a reason and we're to trust he's got this. But there are more reasons given in our passage. Verse 12, just preceding today's reading says, it's so the world will recognise the good things that Jesus' followers do and glorify God. Verse 15 says, it's for God for it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Verse 19. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. And perhaps most importantly, verse 21. Because Jesus suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. What was Jesus' example to us? How did he answer his critics? Wasn't it mostly just what Peter is advocating in verse 15 by doing good? What did Jesus teach our response should be when people insult us, persecute us, say all kinds of evil against us? Shouldn't it be to answer by doing good, to submit? So this is ultimately about following the example Jesus set us. Tim Keller calls this the example passage, while reminding us that salvation is not found in doing what Jesus did. Salvation is because of what Jesus has done for us, not through what we do. But the last verses of this passage call us to strive to live as Jesus lived. Fail though we may, or will. Here's the key then. We're to follow the example of Christ, and by that means we might silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. It's a means of witness to the ignorant world. We submit to bring glory to God. Submission brings glory to God. We know Jesus rendered to Caesar what was Caesar's. He was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and yet he came as a baby to submit to Caesar. But not only to Caesar, to his parents, his elders, his religious leaders, his political and government leaders, presumably his kindergarten teacher and the Nazareth traffic cop. He didn't have to. Sometimes it was hard. Father, take this cup from me. But he chose to. So should we. We're called to choose to submit. We don't submit because our government enforces its laws or because we're afraid. Peter says live as free people. We're free to choose, and we're called to choose right. Those around us should see we freely choose to submit. It's not because we're in fear of human authority. We don't need to fear people in that sense. It's more radical than that. We're working for a higher power. Whether we think we might get caught or are sure we could get away with something, we choose the right and narrow way. We choose to submit. If we know we can fudge this year's tax return, fail to declare some income, know with certainty we'll never get caught, we don't. 
we freely choose to do right, to be honest, or we should. To put our submission in a positive sense, it means we show respect. Peter goes on to say this. And elsewhere, the scriptures tell us to work hard and to seek the good of the city. The Bible tells us that our role in a wicked and adulterous generation is to work hard, to work well with others, to go the extra mile that others may see our good deeds and glorify God. But Jesus would not violate the laws of his father. He chose to obey him first. His default position when he was one of us was to submit to worldly rulers and authorities over him. However, when at times submission would have caused him to sin, his first love was clear. He would not, he could not then submit. He was passionate in calling out the hypocrisy of religious leaders. He cleared the temple of merchants who operated to feed their greed. He preached against the injustices and the cruelty of the rulers of his land. Peter reminds his readers, of course, that Jesus went so far in his submission to his father's will that he, Jesus, submitted to the Roman rulers to the point of death. A death he chose to bear our sins so that we might live for righteousness. Verse 24. A death that pays the penalty for our sins, our stuff-ups, our greed, our injustices, our cruelties, our lack of respect, our failures to submit. So to conclude then, back to a perspective on some of our initial questions. Do we submit when our taxes are used to fund activities we disagree with? I think we must. That doesn't exclude our right, in fact sometimes our imperative, to protest, to expose, to write letters, to vote with our feet, perhaps to march in the streets. Jesus was never reluctant to call out sin. Our take-home is that we call to submit to authorities over us in this world, including ungodly ones, including when that's difficult, uncomfortable or even dangerous. We choose to submit, and that's hard. Think about how that looks in our relationships. Think about how that looks tomorrow morning at work or at school or whatever. Think about how we as Christians in Australia are being countercultural when we honour those in authority the police or our teachers. Think about how it speaks when we're willingly compliant on the road, in the queue, without complaining or arguing, when we refuse to disrespect or disparage our politicians. And we're to do that, to submit, unless submission would cause us to sin. Then we cannot do that. And why do we do that? so that we might be a witness to the world and that our witness would silence the ignorant and bring, bring glory to God. That was the example given to us by Jesus, the perfect example of perfect submission. Let's pray. Father, again I pray that what Peter's written in your word here impacts our lives and our relationships today, tomorrow and forever. Help us to live lives in submission to others, to those in authority, to you. Give us the wisdom to know if or when to do otherwise. Help us to live so that others may catch a glimpse of Jesus, of you, God. Amen. Thank you.